Before we jump in, I want to remind you about our all-church fast coming up this Wednesday, the 14th, which is um, Valentine's Day, in fact. Um, it's Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> Saint is excited about Valentine's Day. All right. <laughs> um, Valentine's Day is Ash Wednesday this year, and Ash Wednesday begins Lent. So if you're unaware, Lent is an observance in the Christian liturgical calendar, and it remembers Jesus' 40 days in the desert where he fasted, he prayed, he was tempted by the devil. Um, Lent lasts 40 days plus six Sundays. It's actually 46 days total. Um, but it leads up to Good Friday. And uh, to, abbrevi- to abbreviate it into kind of like one concise idea, it's a time, it's a season for self-examination, for prayer, for fasting, to seek God, to know God, to be close to God. And for Lent this year, I'm inviting our church to unite in an all-church fast to prayerfully seek God together, to, as a community of faith, that we would join together and draw near to God together. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to take some time over the next couple of days um, and ask God, what can I do? What can I fast from? What can I abstain from during this season? Um, and then take some time during Lent each day to pray, to see God, to be known by God, to give you some ideas of what you can fast from or abstain from. It could be a specific type of food. It could be a meal each day, like, like breakfast or dinner. It could be sugar. It could be caffeine. You could do social media. You could do screen time. You could do music or something else that may be distracting you from intimacy with God. If you're curious about what I'm doing, I'm doing coffee, so I'm enjoying my last few days of good coffee. <laughs> I'm going to take some time. I'm going to take some time into the lonely desert away from coffee. <laughs> I made some good coffee this morning, guys. I will be off strawberry coffee in my Instagram account. I'm just going to give that to the Lord, and I want to seek him. I want to know him. I want to be known by him. I want to be used by him. And I want to challenge you to join me, to join us as a church um, during this Lent period, this Lenten season, to fast, to seek God. Um, if you have any questions about it, I'd be happy to help um, discuss it with you, answer any questions, or just talk about fasting, because fasting is an, an is amazing discipline. Um, I've had some real breakthrough in my own life personally because of the discipline of fasting. And then I look forward to how God's going to meet us over this next month or two, right? You guys with me? All right. For the month of February, I'm preaching on our core values. At City Reach LA, we have four core values there are, there are four guiding cultural principles that define what we believe in and how we will, be, that, how we will behave in community. They're deep beliefs for us that, that fuel our efforts in the, in the direction of our vision, in the direction of our mission. Clearly, as a church, we value many things, um, but we have four values here that we consider central. And they're the way of Jesus, come as you are, church as family, and local and global mission. Last Sunday, I spoke on the way of Jesus Um, That the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And that Jesus not only asks that we receive his work that was done for us on the cross, but he asks us as followers of him to pick up our crosses to deny ourselves as we follow him. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I really want to encourage you to go back, listen to it on our podcast or on our Facebook Live. Not because I'm such an amazing preacher, but because these are core values for us. They're important. They're central to what we do here. They're, They're guiding um, principles, they, they, they're, they're igniting everything that we do here. So I, I, my prayer for you is that these core values would be like lodged into your soul, that they would just be driven into your heart because these aren't just like nice sayings that we want to be about. This is, this is fuel for us as we move forward. Today, I'm preaching on our second core value, come as you are. Are you ready? 
I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. I've been praying all week. I've been, I get, um, sometimes I get um, shivery, like almost like it's cold. Um, I know it's a little chilly today, but um, I don't want to like overhype. It's God's, God's in the room right now. God's here. I'm so, like worship was good today. God, the anointing is in the room today. Let's just start in prayer. God, we thank you. We love you. We invite you into our hearts again in this moment, into our minds again in this moment. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Give us courage to say yes to you, God. We ask this in your name and faith. Amen. I am often amazed that the church is intended to be the most inclusive club. It's supposed to be the most inclusive club on the planet, yet far too many Christians believe we are supposed to guard the doors harshly, guard the entrance doors. Exclusivity sucks. When a group strictly regulates who's permitted entrance, who gets left out, when a group builds walls, especially to protect the rights and the privileges of those inside to be, from not being threatened, yeah, sure, it probably feels good. Sometimes it feels good right, when you're on the in, right, when you're in that group. But an exclusive gl- club that you're denied entrance, it can be repulsive, right? At City Reach LA, we believe in radical inclusivity. You belong here. Whether or not you line up with our practices, you belong here. Whether or not you agree with all of our beliefs, you belong here. Everyone is welcome. Come as you are. Not come as we would like you to be. Come as you are. Now, while there's a beauty and there's a strength to this value, it also brings with it a dark shadow. Radical inclusivity, it fears drawing lines. It fears building walls. Just come and be. Just come and do whatever you want. Have at it. You're free. So it has the potential to not define any boundaries, to not draw any expectations for relationships. You with me? And ultimately, what I guess what I'm, what, I, what I'm crawling to here is that come as you are can end up being permission giving to live however you want. So while, while we invite any, while we invite all to come and to join us, while all are family here, the gospel calls us all to change. Following Jesus demands trading in our way of life for his way of life. It requires, up taking up, it requires us taking up our crosses, denying what we want, denying ourselves in order to follow him. To be a Christian, you don't just get to live however you want. You have to change. So here's how I want to frame my message today. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And to pull on this thread a little, I want to take a look at a well-known story in Scripture A very well-known story about Jesus we find in John chapter 8. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone app. Anybody else like me that doesn't like to use the smartphone app? (laughs) Okay. I know it's helpful. I know it's helpful um, if you're out, you're running around, you just have the Bible in your pocket. It's cool, sure. But I just love, like, holding the Bible. I love holding the book. I want to be able to smell the pages. I want to lick the... No, I'm just joking. (laughs) I like holding the book. It's, I don't know. I'm a traditionalist a little bit, I guess. I'll have the, uh, the text up on the screen here as well. There's Bibles on the tables scattered throughout the room as well if you want. So this is John 8, starting verse 1. 
Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. If you're at all familiar with my preaching, you know I enjoy reading a story from Scripture and then just like diving into that and retelling it again with more culture, with more context, just to kind of light up the story. So I'm going to paint the picture for you. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Crowds are gathering. They're loving watching his ministry. They're loving watching his teaching, his wisdom. They're amazed at wonder and wonder at this man. And seemingly out of nowhere, to the surprise of everyone, this group of men shows up with a woman in hand. And the language used here is that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And consequently, she's brought to Jesus to to discuss what should be done with her. Now, if we stop and think about this for a moment, they could have brought this woman to Jesus after he was done teaching, right? I mean, imagine somebody somebody interrupting this message, my message today, bringing somebody up here to deal with their sin. Like, imagine Gabe bringing Kuros up, holding him by the collar, while I'm preaching, and he's just like, Josh, I saw Kuros pickpocketing this old woman out in the parking lot. What do we do with him? I'd be like, let me finish the message first. <laughs> this moment, which we read about, is, is a shame-filled, humiliating circumstance. She's brought to Jesus against her will. She's a prisoner in the custody of this religious police, this religious authority who caught her involved with a man who was not her husband. We got to know this was clearly meant to be public. They were overtly attempting to embarrass both the woman and Jesus in this moment. Some context. Under the law of Moses, under the Jewish law, under the Torah, this woman's actions were, they were capital. It was a capital offense. What they say is totally true. For this crime... Because the standard of consequence was so serious, death, the standards of evidence also were very serious. Here's what I mean. What's required? There had to be two witnesses who both saw the crime happening. And it wasn't enough to just see the pair coming out of the room together. It wasn't enough to even see them lying in bed together. These two witnesses actually had to see two people having sex, and they had to agree perfectly on what happened. So here's initially what's sketchy about this situation. Because this is a very private sin, and because it had to be observed by two people, seeing two people exactly seeing, agreeing in testimony, rarely was someone actually ever executed for this sin. 
It was rare. It was very rare. So scholars pretty much agree that under these conditions, finding evidence for this would almost be impossible without a setup. It was so unlikely to have two individuals stumble upon two other people having sex that weren't supposed to be having sex. It was very likely manufactured. The men say to Jesus, the Torah says we should stone her. She was sexing. Not supposed to be sexing. We're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And we read this and think, yeah, Jesus, what do you say? Again, some context. What we're watching here is this it's a rabbinic game of chess. This was a Torah trap. It's pretty sinister, in fact. Jesus said, if Jesus says, execute the woman, he's breaking Roman law because the Romans took away the Jews' right to capital punishment. They're not allowed to do that anymore. If he says, let her go, they label him a false teacher because he throws out the Old Testament. This is a game Jesus can't win. So they think. Here's the plan. Let's use this woman as a weapon against Jesus in order to bring charges against him. You guys following? Now, we should state the obvious here. As I'm reading through this story, I'm like, woman caught in the, in the act of adultery with... <laughs> in case it's not obvious, adultery is not the kind of offense one does in solitude. Where's the dude? <laughs> Where's the man who was also caught in the act of adultery? He's not here. But they don't mind leaving this piece out. Right? Let's just keep getting on to the point, Jesus. They say to Jesus, Mosaic law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? The text they're referring to is in Deuteronomy 22. It's under the marriage violations. And it plainly states, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and the woman must be put to death. Because we don't, we don't see the man brought. We just see this woman brought. Many scholars think this is not a stretch even to say the man was probably one of them. It's totally a trap. It's very likely what's going on here. And this is an easy scam Jesus picks up. He's like, oh, you guys, this is a kid's play. So what does he do? First off, careful, deliberate response. He acts as though he doesn't even hear their accusations. And instead of firing back, he stoops down and he begins to write in the dirt with his finger. Now, what Jesus wrote has been endlessly debated on. I wish they talked about it. Man, everybody's like, oh, everybody wants to know what he said. Specific language used here is not that he just wrote, but that he wrote down a record against someone. It's really interesting. So scholars think he may have written a passage of the law that condemned them, or that he's writing the accusers' names down, or that he wrote out their sins. We're not sure. He might have just been doodling to figure out a creative way to respond. I don't know. But they keep pastoring him, and he straightens up, and he says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. Then he just goes back to writing in the dirt. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This is one of Jesus' most famous sayings. Right? You heard this one a lot, right? What's he communicating, though? Like, how are these men actually hearing what he's saying here? Well, here's what he's telling them. This is fascinating. All right. You want to do it? Let's do it, but let's do it right. One of the witnesses that saw her has to throw the stone. So who witnessed this crime? Who brought this woman but didn't bring the man? Jesus calls him out. <laughs> who witnessed this crime 
but isn't going to see this through like it needs to be seen through. We're the witnesses because they're guilty too. Instead of passing a sentence on the woman, he passes a sentence on her accusers. And this is what I find ingenious about this. He didn't say don't execute her. He simply demanded that justice go all the way around the table. So if any of you guys are without sin, why don't you show yourself? And by this, he's not saying if you don't think you've ever sinned before, step forward. He's calling out the men who have orchestrated this. Who plotted this? Who's, who's shaming her? Who's twisting the Torah, using her as a weapon, probably even staging this event to get at me? He's calling out in this direct incident that they had greater sin and greater guilt than this woman did. In fact, she should probably be stoning you guys right now. That's kind of how they're hearing this. Touche. So clever, Jesus. You mentioned throwing stones, so we can't accuse you of ignoring the law. Yet you outwit us and you prevent us from taking action into our own hands here. You're so good. And with that, Jesus just stoops back down again and starts fighting in the dirt. Man. Gentle power. He doesn't attempt to, to stare down his opponents and intimidate them. He just, in fact, he wants to, like, bring the fire out of the situation. He wants to make the situation less tense. And one by one, they start to walk away. Oldest first. Perhaps the older ones catch on quicker what's going on. I can see the younger guys there watching and see older, the older men start walking away, and they're like, uh... <laughs> That, that was good. That was good. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you got you. Till there's no one left. Jesus looks up. The woman's the only one there. I, I almost kind of like picture Jesus having this smirk on his face. Did everybody leave? Is anyone here to condemn you? No one condemned me, sir. Neither do I condemn you. The only one worthy of casting a stone at her offers pardon. And then he adds, go now and leave your life of sin. Please catch this. Jesus doesn't say stop sinning so you won't be condemned. He says you're not condemned, so stop sinning. Did you see her ask for forgiveness? No. She's caught in sin, and before she even has a chance to think about forgiveness, he offers it to her. Even if you're not ready to be pardoned, I pardon you. I condemn you not. Now go and leave your life of sin. What is sin? Very simply, sin is what breaks down wholeness. You were created, you were designed, you were built to be whole souls, to be in touch with the depth of eternity that exists in you because God created you, because God is in you. And sin destroys the capacity for that wholeness. Its behaviors, its ways of thinking, its values, its approaches to life that destroy life. Jesus says, go now and leave that sin. You're accepted as you are right now. So because of that, walk away from your approach to life that in fact destroys your life. To translate, Jesus tells her, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Now I found people love to quote Jesus from this story. He who is without sin cast the first stone. You know why? Because it gets people off our backs. You don't get to judge me. Did you make me? No. 
You don't get to judge me. That's God's job. You got a plank in your eye. You judge yourself. Don't judge me. Let God worry about me. Here's the lure of sin to use Jesus to justify our tolerance of sin. What do we see actually happen in this story? Jesus accepts her, and then he sends her away with instruction to walk away from sin. I want to know there's a difference between not sinning and being a person who walks away from sin. There's only been one human being who has ever not sinned, who's ever been tempted as we are, yet stood beyond the reach of sin. His name is Jesus. He knows you're going to sin. He's not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they sinned again today. He expects you to sin more than you expect you to sin. We often have higher standards for ourselves than Jesus does. Sin's in our blood. Like, it's going to happen. He's not saying don't ever sin. What he's saying is repent, which means do an about face. Walk away. Walk in the different, a different direction. Not just feel bad about what you did. Act different. <laughs> You know, a three-year-old daughter, my daughter Aria, she's learning how to apologize now for when she messes up. She'll make a mistake. She'll be disobedient. I'll call her out on it. She says, I'm sorry, Daddy. And it's like so cute, right? Like intentionally disobedient. Aria, I just said don't do that. I'm sorry, Daddy. Can't count how many times I've had to tell her. Just because you say sorry doesn't mean you get to do it again. <laughs> Right? Saying sorry is the first part. Changing your actions is the second part. (laughs) Jesus is telling this woman, repent. Walk away from your lifestyle. The intentional, the chosen decisions and habits that cause you to self-destruct. Return to them no more. I don't condemn you. Now go leave your life with sin. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Erica, can I borrow you for a second? You were not expecting that. Can you come stand right here? You can stand right here or just face that way. It's cool. If you don't know Erica, she is sweet. She is lovely. But she is a honey badger. Kickboxing, like, you don't want to get in the wrong direction right here, right? So right now, you're just going to represent sin for me, okay? Now, I want to bring up Mike Bear. Can you come up here, too? And uh, Saint, let's, use, let's bring you up, too. Let's have you guys stand on this side. You guys can face this way. Now, Mike's going to represent grace for us. Saint's going to represent holiness for us, okay? Now, often I, I want to protect myself from sin. And I, I, need, I need to make a decision. This is what I believe. Who is going to guard me? Who's going to be my protector? Is it going to be grace or is it going to be holiness? So some choose holiness. Come on over here, holiness. Can you stand in between me and sin? I'm going to put grace off to the side for a little bit. I need grace right now. Holiness is going to take care of me. You see, many Christians have been taught the Bible, that Christianity, that Scripture, that Jesus is about learning correct doctrine. It's a correct way of thinking. It's a correct way of living. And if we live right, the big man in the sky don't get pissed off at us, right? I want to end up in the good place, not the hot place. So just tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I got to know to avoid that. The problem with this way of thinking, though, is that holiness is not a lifestyle that ensures eternity in heaven. Holiness is about our time right now, too. Jesus said the holy ones are going to be the gift to the earth, not just preserved for eternity. And that Jesus' teachings, they were, prescript- they were not prescriptions for how to get to heaven. They're actually descriptions of a holy life. 
of a full life, of a whole life. And Jesus came teaching a righteousness, a holiness that extended beyond the holiness of the Pharisees. He's like, their, their hearts are far from me. That's not we're, we're not just doing and thinking right. I want actions that, that bleed from a pure heart. God's after a holy heart, transformed character, a redeemed brokenness. Who cares if you say, it doesn't matter if you say all the right things, if your heart's far from me. God wants holy hearts. Not just holy actions. He wants holy hearts in line with his. And holiness on our own strength. Here, this holiness on our own strength. This guy's strong. Holiness on our own strength always ends up with a religious code and turns into Pharisees. By itself, turn into a Pharisee. Now, others choose grace. Holiness, get out of here. Grace. God's grace is so big, I don't even need holiness. Look at these biceps. Some choose to believe God's grace is so big, I don't need holiness. We don't need to be overly concerned with Jesus' teachings on how we're actually supposed to live. He's going to forgive us. You look at the woman caught in adultery. She didn't even ask for forgiveness. He gave it. God's given us forgiveness for the sins we haven't even committed yet. Grace is huge, but Paul has some thoughts on this. He comes along later and says, hey, just because grace abounds, just because grace is bottomless, it doesn't give you permission to sin more. Freedom without authority is not real freedom. Freedom always exists under authority. If we take the authority picture out, we get anarchy is what it is. That's not freedom. So when you're intentionally siphoning grace to protect you from sin, it shows how much you don't understand grace. And here's the, here's the approach of the oxymoron. I want to live the abundant life that Jesus offers. I want the joy, I want the peace, I want all of it, but I don't want to give up my destructive lifestyle. I'm just going to put holiness over here and kick over my coffee. That ain't holy. I want to keep my sinful, broken approach to life, but I want the joy and the peace that you offer, Jesus, and you can't have both of those. You are called and you are instructed to a life of holiness. Why? Because it's already your identity. Peter comes along later and says, you're already holy, now act like it. You see, we tend to pit holiness and grace against each other, but they're not at war with each other. They're not opponents, they're colleagues. And in this story, what we see is Jesus fused these two to protect us from sin. I condemn you not, now stop sinning. Grace has covered you. Now go live holy. You don't have to choose holiness or grace. Jesus offers you both. And do you know how much more I'm protected from that kickboxing honey badger with these two in front of me? You guys can go sit down. Thank you. Thank you. You are not condemned and go and leave your life of sin. Thanks. Thanks, man. This is what we mean by come as you are. You're not condemned. And go and leave your life of sin. Everyone is welcome here, and everyone is summoned to abandon their sin. No one person here is more qualified than anybody else to be here. If you walk in these doors breathing, you're family. That's it. Your past failures, your sin, your mess-ups, they're not going to scare us out of your life. In fact, if you get to know everybody in here, you're going to find out there's some deep crap in here. We're probably more messed up than you are. 
There's some bad stories represented here, and that's good. That's what the church is. Jesus says the church is a hospital for sick people. It's not a hangout for the doctors. This is a group of broken people. We're all broken. We're all in need of Jesus. Here, it's okay not to be okay. You're all invited to walk into these doors every Sunday, to join a community group, to join the dream team, dream team, which is everybody on our serving teams. You're invi- invited to be in our family just as you are, not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. You don't have to front. You don't have to act like you've got it all together. You don't have to act like you have more figured out than you do. You can show up messed up. You're one of us. And we're going to call you to change because <laughs> this is the life that Jesus calls us to. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. I want to ask Josh and Jackie to come back up for a response time now. We're going to go into a uh, time of response. And I just want to slow down for a moment to respond to what God's doing in our hearts and in the room. And I was really praying about how to, I don't know, guide this response time. And I, 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 I don't want to give too much instruction right now. You know, the Christian life can be summed up by saying, what is God speaking to you, and then what are you doing about it? And often we're, not just give, we're just not giving space for God to speak to us. So I just want to challenge you to slow down for this moment. Be present to God. What is God speaking to you right now? It may be regarding a specific sin in your life. It may be regarding how you relate to this church community. It might have nothing to do with what I preached about today, and that's awesome. (laughs) I simply challenge you to ask Jesus what he might be saying to you in this moment, and then say yes. So God, we show up as we are. We acknowledge all our failures. We look in the mirror right now and go, God, we are screwed up. And we thank you for your grace that receives us, that calls us to you, that welcomes us into your family. And we ask for courage right now to be able to leave our lives of sin as well. That we would choose you over our destructive habits. That we would choose obedience to you over things that destroy wholeness. So God, in this moment, we just open our, open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our spirits. We slow down this week, the hurry of this week, the grind of this week, the hustle of this week. We slow it down for this moment to be present to you, to look to you, to give you room to speak to our hearts. And we say, whatever it is that you want to do in us, whatever it is that you want us to let go of, to abandon, we say yes. We pray that your will would be done in our hearts as it is in heaven that your will would be done in City Reach LA as it is in heaven. Because we need you, God. We need you, God.